Welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I'm your host, Julia Tertian. Each episode of Keep Calm and Cook On features a meaningful interview and answers to listeners' questions about cooking. Thank you to OXO for making this episode possible. OXO makes many of the kitchen tools that I trust the most. To find out more about OXO and their products, head over to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. Ashley Christensen cares as much about people as she does about food. The Raleigh-based chef and restaurateur started cooking when she was in college. She now runs an empire of restaurants in North Carolina's Triangle, including Pool's Diner, which she opened over a decade ago. Ashley employs over 200 people and is known for not being afraid to speak up, a quality I really admire. Ashley's cooking, restaurants, and her cookbook have been celebrated by outlets like Food & Wine, Bon Appetit, The New York Times, and Eater. She's also the recipient of a James Beard Award. This is all to say Ashley is a leader, and it was wonderful to talk to her about the evolution of not just her career, but also her role as a leader. What moves me most about Ashley's work is her commitment to community and to giving back. Just last month, Ashley was inducted into the Fellowship of Southern Farmers, Artisans, and Chefs by the Southern Foodways Alliance. She and I sat together to record this episode during the weekend she was inducted in Tennessee. We spoke about the value of communication in all relationships, the importance of listening, and why kindness matters. I was really moved by hearing her reflect back, and I hope you are, too. Do you mind introducing yourself? I'm Ashley Christensen. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, where I own some restaurants and employ a bunch of incredible people. How many is some? Uh, 270 employees oh at this time. And how many restaurants? Uh, I always have to like think about it for yeah. a second. <laughs> We've got uh, six locations in downtown Raleigh, all within five blocks of one another. Uh, one of those spaces is a private event space called Bridge Club, and it sits above our most recent restaurant, Death and Taxes. Wow. And then we just purchased a building, uh, Kate Golan and I, and we are going to uh, open a Napoli-inspired pizza joint there. I've seen you've been trying pizza yeah. in different places. Yeah. <laughs> We're carrying a lot of antacids around these days. <laughs> <laughs> just always be prepared. Um, where are you from originally? Where did you I'm, I'm from uh, Kernersville, which is about 90 miles west of Raleigh. And I was born in Greensboro. Kernersville is like right in between Winston-Salem and Greensboro. Mm-hmm. So um, grew up there. Uh, my mother still lives in the house I grew up in. Wow. and uh, But I moved to Raleigh the day after my 18th birthday to go to school at North Carolina State University. And you stayed put? Stayed put, yeah. Have you ever lived anywhere? Uh, no, I lived a summer in Long Island, out where my dad lives. Uh, you know, after my freshman year in college. But other than that, I've always lived in Raleigh and uh, always will. When you go to your mom's house, do you like stay in the room you grew up in? I do. It's different now. Like it <laughs> How doesn't. Does it you know, feel? Uh, it's great. You know, we we've got um, Kate and I have two dogs, and we've got a you know kind of small yard where we live. And my mom lives on like a, a full acre in this giant fenced backyard, and it's so much fun for them to. Go and tear it up. So, um, the grand dogs. Yeah, the grand dogs, exactly. We call her, you know, we refer to her as grandmother when we're there. That's so, so but yeah, she spoils them, fluffs the towels in the dryer before they come in from a, you know, a romp outside. <laughs> that's, that's a very luxurious <laughs> dog experience. When, when did you first start cooking professionally? It was after college? Uh, no, it was uh, during college. Okay. And I, you know, really got into cooking because I, I grew up. Uh, around food. My dad had two like huge beautiful gardens and both my parents are just in- incredible cooks and it was such a you know, big part of my childhood that um, you know we 
most dinners were served at like 9 p.m. because they would work, come home, and like always cook this full, beautiful meal. So uh, when I went, uh, when I moved to Raleigh to go to school, I just, you know, without really thinking about it, started, you know, reading more about food and mm-hmm. thinking a lot about food. And I started, um, you know, kind of like buying pots and pans mm-hmm. and um, just really, I, I didn't acknowledge it at the time, but I think I was sort of connecting to this yeah. thing about my home that I loved sure. uh, and started throwing dinner parties. So I, I ended up going to NC State because I uh, got a veteran scholarship. My dad was in the Vietnam War and uh, they choose like a hundred kids based mm-hmm. on academics and extracurricular. I had more of the, the latter, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I had a full scholarship to college and, uh, you know, just really liked Raleigh and chose, uh, chose NC state because of that. But I like to refer to it as my second scholarship that like all my roommates would chip in uh-huh. and we would have like a dinner party and I would take that budget and d- decide on something that I wanted to teach myself to cook. And I would, you know, check out a book and research uh-huh. it and then throw this dinner party. And, and, were you uh, in a dorm or no, well, I was in a dorm my freshman year and then moved into an apartment with some pals and, mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of everything sort of took off from there. And that's how I ended up really working in restaurants was, you know, cooking for all these folks who would be like, you know, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, I hate eggplant and this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what you I was, uh, all kinds of stuff, yeah. you know, I think I would, I would take like really traditional things and, and learn about what made those dishes, what they are. And, um, but I think, it, you know, I grew up on just very ingredient driven mm-hmm. food based on how much my, um, you know, the, for us, life at home was about like, taking care of the gardens and then canning. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so my parents were just always cooking yeah. and always thinking about something. And the same thing, like they were just grabbing books and teaching themselves how to cook things. So yeah. kind of followed in their footsteps there. But, um, you know, the thing that really uh, is like the warmest part of always recalling, you know, where, where I got my yeah. start is thinking about like, at first for me, it was about thinking about food and like mm-hmm. learning about something I didn't know about, yeah. you know, and, um, but it, and it took me a little while to realize it, but what I really loved was the entertaining piece. Yeah. And, and I loved the energy that, you know, had to do with like, much like the restaurants, like preparing for guests to arrive. And as, as it gets closer to, uh, to kick off time, how, you know, that sort of like positive stress. Yeah. And, and, uh, so it took me a little while to realize that that was the thing that I loved most. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> part of like growing up with my parents, um, they entertained a lot, but not like fancy parties. Yeah. They just did the thing that they wanted to do and yeah. loved to do. And I just have like such fond memories of watching my dad, like put food into people's mouths, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, <laughs> Chase, try this. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah. So I really, um, a big part of, you know, somewhere in early in my career, it took me a minute to realize it, but then to acknowledge like, Oh wow. So much of this to me is about like cooking next to people yeah. or, you know, that gesture of being able to share something yeah. that brings people together. Yeah. I mean, it's so much about what I admire about what you do because it's just about people. Yeah. Thank you. you know, it's thank food, you. But it's about people. Oh, big yeah. time. Yeah. So speaking of, of people and the 270, 270 uh-huh. <laughs> employees you have, um, I, I was just, I didn't realize it was that many. That's a yeah. really big number. It's wild. How would you describe your leadership style? Um, that's a great question. You know, I think, uh, we run a company that is based on, um, the people who work in that company, the community that we're serving, 
um, how we want that work to speak to people in other communities and inspire folks to realize like the the power and um, responsibility of of being in the center of yeah. a community as you are when you. Uh, run a restaurant and I think back to when I had one restaurant and how different I, mm -hmm. I learned a lot about my management style in growing from one project to mm -hmm. four so when we did our second project it was made up of three restaurants in one location so you went from one to four yeah so I went from um, having th like 20 24 employees to having like 120 employees in, in a 30-day span wow. of time so um, certainly you know uh, didn't all go perfectly, yeah. <laughs> but you know I think what we do um, is we work really hard to bring a lot of transparency mm -hmm. to what we're doing with uh, with our teams, mm -hmm. and so we've we've been putting a lot of energy into um, you know like teaching people what makes the business um, you know what makes it work the way that it works, mm -hmm. and and I think there in so many categories in, in the restaurant industry there's been very little transparency. And I remember, you know, like coming up and being shown numbers and told what I was, you know, responsible for and what how how those numbers needed to change. But no one ever showed me the other numbers, and all those mm -hmm. things are so integral. So, yeah. um, you know, my goal is to um, really get people excited about the challenges and the communication that comes along with yeah. with this work. And I think the communication is the you know always the most important thing in almost any business. Yeah. Um, and it's the thing that you know you really have to get people comfortable with. So uh, we want to you know go after all the obvious challenges of teaching people how to manage folks and and to um, enjoy radical candor, which has been a very uh, you know candor, yeah, yeah something that um, for us you know the, one of the most important pieces is like how we deliver feedback and how we express the expectations of the job. And so um, you know I, I think that we're learning so much as this company grows and we're just trying to share all those lessons yeah. uh, in real time with the folks we're working with you know and, and to really you know for me I want to create a place where uh, people can feel like they're really contributing mm -hmm. and where where they feel like they get to take chances and um, and you know is it would be a wonderful thing to have as many of the folks to stay with us as long mm -hmm. as 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 they care to and I, you know I want to run a company that people feel like they're constantly learning and that they're learning alongside of us, you know, and that, you know, we, we always throw the challenge on the table, like, if you see a better way to do something, let's talk about mm -hmm. it. So getting people comfortable with, you know, the, the vision that we have for the company, but, you know, making sure that people know that they're a part of what makes this, uh, you know, a growing, evolving yeah. success. So, um, but, you know, as much as I would love for uh, our folks to stay as long as they can, I also, when we put people into the world, I want them to be a part of improving this industry mm -hmm. and to really, truly know um, how to run a business, you know. And so that's been something, um, I guess that's my style of leadership, yeah. <laughs> to, to make sure that we're investing in this thing in, yeah. in a way that everybody owns a part of that experience and that it betters their path forward. Did you learn that from anyone? Or how did you, um, you know, I think it's a thing evolve? that that ha happened for us in the field, realizing, mm -hmm. um, you know, as I said, you know, it's, it's never perfect. And I'm yeah. actually, uh, it's not a word I use. Like when, when I talk to our teams, you know, we don't, we don't say make a perfect experience. Mm -hmm. We say make a great experience, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and to be able to, I think when we choose words like perfect, mm -hmm. we set a ceiling yeah. and we make a place where that's as far as we want to go. And to me, like the energy that our, and, and ideas and, and the way that, um, 
all these shops are changing has so much to do with you know the the folks who are investing their time and uh, you know their energy into the spaces mm -hmm. right now. So it's you know for the second project, I remember after how smooth pools was running and we were just experiencing so much success and then we opened up the second project and it just felt like a space alien to me you know it was just so different mm -hmm. uh learning how to be in two different places and i remember having this feeling of just being so worn down by it and how foreign it felt to me and then now i look back and it's like that second place is one of the places where i feel you know the most um blown away you know now it's like and i realize it's because it wasn't possible for me to control everything so in coming off of mm. some of some of you know that uh that style of management it was natural that people started to contribute and in, influence so the place in yeah. a new way and i and then i looked up one day and it was just like wow this is so magical and it's because of the people yeah. who helped it's us yeah it's bigger it's it, and and since then like learning that lesson it's it's how i really approach everything we do you know i want to be a part of driving driving it creatively and cult, you know in a cultural sense mm -hmm. but um and making sure that our standards for how we work together um i want to be very involved in that but now we're just making all these incredible discoveries based on you know these amazing folks who are spending time with us in these spaces yeah. so, and that's that's true of our guests as well you know i think um getting to a place of having uh, being mature enough to take feedback mm -hmm. <laughs> from yes. your guest and i think mm -hmm. we're, we've become um you know our community welcomes us and we welcome them and and i think we're in a place where we don't have people just going you know this sucks because of this mm -hmm. we have folks who go hey i was thinking about this thing you guys are doing and i and and i think you might want to consider this you know and and so we have this great dialogue now with our community and and with our team and that's that to me has been one of the really greatest achievements is is learning how to listen and uh, both to the folks who uh, we employ and and to the the people we feed and you know share hospitality yeah. with it sounds like uh, just across the board, there's just a lot of respect and communication, which for any relationship is, yeah. is really valuable. Yeah, and I think, yeah. you know, that has to go in every direction. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's been really, um, I think one of the things that helps us to earn the respect of the, the team that works with us and of the community is when we need to stand up for something, mm. we do it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we don't, you know, we're not, you know, beholden to the, to the dollar. It's yeah. one of those things where, um, you know, I'm, I am a, believer that hospitality is a relationship and that's what you know we we use the word guest and I, i'm mm -hmm. sure you've heard me talk about this before but it's something where um you know i, I think we have to remove this transactional idea away from yeah. the restaurant industry because you can't establish that respect if we don't all acknowledge that the opportunity to share hospitality is a relationship yeah yeah you do a lot of kind of amazing moments of, of speaking up for things. And I think about it like in your restaurant windows, the, <laughs> yeah. the kind of, what are they, decals? Yes, say, like, yeah. Don't forget to vote. Your, um, yeah, so they started as yeah. um, uh, during the last presidential election. It's how we like to be involved, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in anything uh, that ha that is based in the community is just to, just to be there to remind people of um, what it, you know the things that are I, I believe we should be responsible for mm -hmm. as citizens so um yeah so it started as uh we just put in our window you know i'm, I'm never going to be the person who's going to hang a candidate's mm -hmm. sign in my windows yeah. like i think part of welcoming really creating a place where all people are truly welcome mm -hmm. <clears throat> is to create you know a, 
the, a table for yeah. us all to, to, to sit at and to yeah and to, to yeah <laughs> to, to be able yeah. to have conversations and yeah. um, but you know no matter what you know political sure. affiliation someone has I want them to walk into our place and know that we're there to to welcome them mm-hmm. and uh, if you know if I, if I'm looking to um, you know inspire people to to do anything it's just to to approach you know um what they do and and to approach community in general with kindness you know and i think that is such a centering concept so you know i feel so lucky to do something that i love so much that that drives me and and asks so much of me every single day but i think um with uh, you know, with that uh, opportunity to do what we do in the center of community, it just comes with a great deal of responsibility. Yeah. I could so. not agree more. <laughs> I really identify with that. Do you, a lot of people call you an activist. Is that a word hmm. you use? Um, do you consider yourself one? I, I guess um, I have to like slow down and think about it when, yeah. you know, uh, but I guess I am. You know, yeah. I guess when it comes to um, asking people to wake up and think yeah. about things that matter and what yeah. they, you know, how they affect, uh, how they affect us. You know, it's, I'm asked often if I have any, um, you know, political aspirations and, uh, I don't, <laughs> it's one of those things You're like, not running for mayor. W- w- yeah, <laughs> or, or council or, well, but you know what I, yeah. what I enjoy so much about, um, I think to be a successful politician at any level, I think there's just so much compromise that, that you have to make, you know, and that, you know, in some cases, uh, in some cases that you should be making, in other cases, I think that we see great folks who we think could represent us well, um, not do the best job because sure. they're having to, you know, co- compromise in a, in a negative way to get something done, you know, so that doesn't really attract me. But I also like what I feel driven to do is ask more of the people who said they would represent us and yeah. to, uh, you know, I, I like being, um, you know, someone who holds people accountable, yeah. you know, and I, I think, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's one of the things that, and I want to do it responsibly and I want to do my research mm-hmm. and I want to always be able to 100% believe in what I'm asking of, of the people who, who represent us. And, uh, you know, and so, because I take that role so seriously mm-hmm. as, as a boss and as a leader, um, that it's, it's, I, that's the thing that I see myself doing more of in the future. And, you know, I, I, Imagine I'll I'll only move, you know, into being more vocal. Sure. <laughs> so, well, you're yeah. a big part of the economy in in your city. Sure, so, you know, sure, it counts for something. Yeah, absolutely, that. it's true. You know, and I yeah. that's that's one of the things that I have to be reminded mm-hmm. of, and I, mm-hmm. I seldom crosses my mind that I have that power. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded by others to use it. In those moments when you do speak up and you're advocating for people, um, you know, in all these different ways you do it, even if it's just on social media mm-hmm. or you know. In, in person with someone, what does your support system look like? What gives you the kind of backbone for those moments? Yeah, um, I mean, Kate Golan, my fiance, you know, is uh, a huge, um, you know, huge uh, piece of my support network for sure on every level. Um, but I also think in the work that we do, so, you know, I, I became more vocal after realizing. Um, I could not be, you know, I I think in in so many cases, we just watch people lash out in Mm -hmm. social media and say things to people like me, Mm -hmm. you know, and and to other folks and and to our our teams. Um, But 
one of the things uh, I'll say, like, I, I, I'm given a lot of credit for being, um, for articulating a point well in, in writing. And uh, I think Kate is someone who I get to really think through ideas with, mm -hmm. because again, I think there is a tremendous amount of responsibility when I represent such a large group mm -hmm. of folks. Would I open my mouth or pull the you know cap off my pen, mm -hmm. whatever it might be? Um, I need to do that the right yeah. way and I need to do it thoughtfully. So she's so brilliant yeah. and um, taught me a while back when I got really heated up about something, hey, give it give it 12 hours, yeah. like th really think through this. And I find when I do, the next day it just all flows and, and she is uh, a tremendous editor of, of my ideas. Yeah, and she's a great editor. <laughs> yeah, she is. You have an editor. She is, yeah. yeah. But yeah. also, you know, um, to have someone who can keep, keep you between the lines yeah. on, on what you want to say, but also she knows so much about, she, she cares about what I care about, mm -hmm. but she understands why I care about mm -hmm. those things. And so I think she's someone who really helps me um, work through how to express uh, standing up for something. Yeah. And so, so that's, that's a real asset yeah. <laughs> for, for me. But also, um, you know, in, in all the ways that I think um, public work, like you, our, both of our work, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, can can sometimes be yeah. can can be it's so social, you yeah. know. It can sometimes be very depressing on the other side of it, Absolutely. and so I think having yeah. someone to talk through the low mm -hmm. notes of of yeah. you know of the good fight <laughs> uh, that's that's a huge piece of I think what what keeps me going and and um, it reminds me of what's wonderful about this work and and the opportunity. Um. I want to, if it's okay, I want to ask you a yeah. little bit more kind of along those lines. Sure. Personal side. How do you identify? Do you, what word do you use to describe yourself? Uh, I'm Ashley Christensen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, honestly, like yeah. for me personally, like I just never, and it's not, I don't think it's something that I'm running from yeah. choosing. Yeah. Uh, I just, and I think that's one of the great things about being um, someone who is, is, you know, who's out there and who mm -hmm. people see a lot of. Um, I think that a lot of people know a lot about my personal mm -hmm. life without uh, me having to yeah. put it into words. I don't yeah. know. How about you? Just, you? you just are. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel really similarly. I don't yeah. really kind of ascribe to any particular label. I usually just call myself a gay woman. That yeah. seems to fit. Yeah. Um, have you always been out publicly? Uh, something that's evolved? Yeah, you know, I think... Um, I'm trying to think, you know, it was never the case that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I just, I think I probably, um, I, th I think it's one of those things where I've, I think about when people, uh, you know, the more people came to know about me, mm -hmm. like I, I think it was known. It was, yeah. I've never been like, you know, someone who talks about yeah. that first. I've never, certainly never felt like I was in the closet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say I came out probably uh, age 19, mm -hmm. like to my family. Yeah. So, um, but you know, it's, it's sort of hard to think back and remember. Yeah. Uh, like I remember being in high school and I, I didn't really know yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, I acknowledged that I thought about certain things that made me wonder why I was thinking about sure. those things. Yeah. I'm nodding my yeah, head. Yeah, I really yeah, understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but community-wise, like I do remember one time um, being, uh, someone told me they were going to give me the aid service agency in our community was going to give me the um, straight ally award, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, there's <laughs> one problem with that." <laughs> So that that was kind of interesting, <laughs> but um, yeah. So 
Yeah, Did I you think uh, someone for them to give it to. I, I can't even remember where the rest of that conversation went, but I was like, you know, <laughs> like I wasn't amazing. insulted. I was just kind of yeah. like, oh, like, uh, uh, well, we let's clear something. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. But um, yeah, I feel like just from following you on Instagram, it seems like travel is a really big part Huge. of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, I guess, two questions. One is how often are you kind of on the road? Is there any schedule to it or? Uh, I'm trying to do it a little less. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> We're, we've uh, you know turned quite a few travel opportunities down for this upcoming year. Um, Kate and I are getting married yeah. in June. Uh, we're probably going to open a restaurant about a month before that. Please let it happen before that. Please let it happen before that. <laughs> <Just> why not? <laughs> yeah, but you know. Um, I have never had a publicist. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do any kind of like marketing. So we consider going out into the world and cooking events. We consider that our marketing yeah. budget, essentially. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's that's sort of how we make sense of that. I'm always thinking about food and I'm always thinking about ideas and hospitality. But when you're in the restaurant all the time, you're just so you're you're buzzing through mm -hmm. like you know what it what it takes to make services start and finish mm -hmm. and to start all over again and uh, so I was getting a little bit creatively locked up and I noticed when I'd get on a plane like the second mm -hmm. that I would you know buckle in my mind would just start rolling yeah. and I'd get out a pad and paper and just start crushing ideas yeah. and so it it became the thing that I acknowledged as as my you know sort of uh Sort of creative fuel. Yeah, so. I do my best writing on a plane. Oh man, by far. And it's yeah. when you get into like high productivity mode oh, at yeah. thirty thousand feet, it's incredible. Yeah, you're a little lightheaded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You write a lot about things like exercise and mm -hmm. doing whole thirty and yeah. that kind of stuff. And I'm wondering what sort of physical well-being. What does that mean to you? Yeah, uh, it's important. It's it's easy to get away from it as mm -hmm. uh, you know, like. Uh, traveling so mm -hmm. much and that's always the thing where if we can get enough time at home I'm like okay we gotta we gotta do a reset here mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I think it's tremendously important for you know everyone but I think in in restaurant work to have something that can be um, you know the exercise I think is is very freeing mm -hmm. of it's it's a time when I can actually shut my mind off mm -hmm. of thinking through the things that we're challenged by, which I'm a terrible sleeper, and that's a that's a big problem for me. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the one time when I can kind of disappear a little yeah. bit. But um, when it comes to um, yeah, there's so much indulgence in in this work, and sure. I you know, and I, and I I pride uh, our food on you know we're not big luxury people. Mm -hmm. We all enjoy that, but like in the restaurants, we really um, enjoy taking simple things and making them. Um, you know, a, a beautiful experience that doesn't need luxury to pave its path, mm -hmm. you know, that it really is about the time that's spent respecting those ingredients yeah. and caring about how they're put together. Um, but, um, you know, I think there is a lot of indulgence to to being a cook and to, to traveling and, and to cook, cooking in another mm -hmm. city where someone else wants to cook for you sure. because you're there, yeah. you know, so, um, and I love that, but uh, I, the whole thing, the whole 30 journey was really neat for me and um, it helped with the sleeping for mm -hmm. sure. I had a, I had a uh, dip around day five and six were really difficult for me. I thought but you then, had like a dip for like dips. <laughs> I made a dip <laughs> that was, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, days five and six were really difficult for me, but then I was like full, what do they call it, tiger's blood. Like, oh, I was just like, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, is there a certain conversation right now that's happening that you're really kind of excited about? Um, let me see. <laughs> I'm excited about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we're within our own company thinking 
a lot about um, about how we build our build our people towards their own uh, successes, you know, and how how we can be supportive and how we can mentor. But, you know, one of the things that's really important to me right now as we look at our industry and think about the challenges of, um, you know, staffing and, uh, you know, one of my goals is like to to make this an industry, uh, to contribute to this industry in a way that ultimately the folks who are working in it right now will want their children to work in this business. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think um, has has not been true for, for a long time. And there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but one of the things that I think about a lot is how um, we often promote people to their incompetency. We we have one path, and I don't mean just us yeah, as a company. Mean? I mean I mean as as an industry, we we make sort of one um, you know one path up for mm-hmm. for what it means to be successful. So if you start as a cook and you know you work your way up, you're working towards management. Sure. And if you think about how challenging management is to find people who have the strengths or are open to um, you know, to the growth path, but also you have to be someone who natu- who wants to manage. Mm-hmm. Like that can't be the only um, you know, line of success yeah. in our field. And so we see a lot of people drop out of this business, or I I can't do anything else here, so I'm going to move on. You know, or they move on onto another restaurant for um, for the next you know to, just to change their environment or whatever it might be. So I think that we as an industry have built this idea that. The symbols uh, or acknowledgement of of uh, being successful is by being then, you know, um, promoted to management. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to change that. I think we have to find a way um, to look at the roles that people play in, in our companies that are so tremendously important. I mean, it is what makes the wheels go round in our in our business. The, the folks who are in there crushing it out, cooking those meals, pushing themselves yeah. to be shelling those peas, yeah. those peas, <laughs> push, pushing themselves to yeah. be. Um, you know, to look for those next ideas of next level hospitality. And, uh, you know, I think one of my jobs as a leader should be to look at these folks who are successful in, in roles that they love and to, within that role, find new ways to challenge them and keep that work engaging. And, and I think that is actually more challenging than putting someone on a management track. But uh, we see a lot of folks be promoted and then just not love it or, yeah. or not be the right person for that particular role. But it's like, you know, I I just got to thinking about it and I realized like, I want to find a way to keep folks engaged with the work that they love to do. And the greatest opportunity we have to be successful in the restaurant industry is to make sure that every person who works for us and with us has the opportunity to end their day and feel successful at work and to go home and feel successful as well. What does success mean to you? Well, um, you know, I think feeling like you made the most of that day and based on the thing that you love to do. Mm-hmm. So if it's that you're, you know, an, an, an you know, incredible line cook or that you're the host that everyone loves, you know, who, mm-hmm. who knows how to run the floor, like a, a champ, you know, and makes everything smooth. You know, I, I, I think what we've learned, um, is a, is a huge part of informing how successful people feel at work is uh, having a really clear set of expectations, um, having um, you know clear and constant feedback. I think you know we. I don't think it's natural for people to feel comfortable telling someone that they're there's an opportunity for them to improve in the mm-hmm. moment, and so we've really worked on becoming. Um, 
making communication comfortable with our team, but they say it's one of the most, um, you know, as we study what makes people feel fulfilled at their jobs, one of the top ranking items is knowing what's expected of you. Mm. And, and I think when we're not organized or we're behind or we're, um, you know, not strong communicators, if you can't make clear uh, what you expect of someone, then they don't know where to find sure. acknowledgement for success because they don't even know what their job is supposed yeah. to be. So if you think about all the feelings that surround that when you're looking at all the possibilities of what you could be doing that day and you have no idea how to how to start and, and achieve and fulfill uh, in, in the role that is expected of you. So, so yeah, huge. Yeah. When are you going to write your business book? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end out? of all that, we've been putting so much energy uh, as, as a team of directors for our yeah. company to just being open and yeah. learning and trying things and pulling everybody in and sharing all this information that, you know, at the end of the day, I think I actually would like to write that yeah, book. I would, um, I, I would, you know, I'm having so many conversations across the country with friends who own similarly sized mm -hmm. companies or, or growing and we're all going through the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that I, I would love to find an opportunity where we could share that stuff in real time. But I think, you know, uh, to, to have, we're, we're going to keep, noting everything and trying to find yeah. a way to make sure that we can document and share this information. Um, but, you know, I think we've got to find a way where I, I would love for all the info to be free. Mm -hmm. I just think when people take the information, they have to give something back. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to like mm -hmm. find a way to contribute something yeah. they know. So, yeah. um, but again, I think, you know, circling back as a group, I think we, we're part of an industry that, again, has just had so little transparency and everyone's like, you know, protecting what they've got because mm -hmm. it's so hard to make it. And for, for, you know, Pools Diner is my first restaurant. It turned 11 this year. And it's, uh, you know, it's that feeling where you feel like you might get to stay. We may yeah. get to hang out and keep doing this. Yeah. So, um, and we're very proud of that. But, you know, I, I look back at... Uh, everything that 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 we've learned and it's just such such an amazing thing it really it really is the language that we wrap around what we do i think is is so so important and i've been asked for years and years uh, always pe people always want to talk about competition they want to talk mm -hmm. about what it's like to operate um sur survive in a city you know we opened pools in 2007 which was an interesting time mm -hmm. and you know there's a serious economic uh economic uh downturn sure, and yeah. so it was really neat for me to have a concept that i wanted to um i wanted to open something that people could find a reason to be there more than once a week. Mm. And so we opened up, you know, in in this crazy financial period and, and figured out that we would not only survive it, but thrive in that environment where people were being more careful mm. about how they spent their money. They wanted to know what was behind the food they were eating and they wanted to know, you know, what was behind the door and to have a better understanding of uh, this thing they were investing in. And I think our, will, our willingness to be uh, transparent in a community sense um, really uh, served us well. But, it, you know, in, in those conversations about competition, I just early on, Every time that was asked of me, I, I would express and still do, you know, I, I, I don't believe in competition. I believe in complementary business. And that's mm -hmm. what that's what builds, um, you know, that's what to me is what defines the restaurant industry in Raleigh is having a lot of folks who love the work of one another. And it's my favorite thing now, you know, like uh, people want to see the restaurants when they come to town. But I've got, you know, four stops of other folks that I yeah. want to take them to go see. You know, yeah. we've got amazing, amazing food happening in that yeah. city and it really feels like a community. But I think, you know, if we can get 
that that idea to spread that the business is about um, you know complementing one another and really you know I think it drives us all towards to be more unique from one yeah. another and to appreciate mm -hmm. and be inspired by you know by our differences. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I have one last question sure. that I just love to ask everyone, um, Got it. which is, what was your favorite food when you were growing up? Mm. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind. First thing that comes to mind would probably be a tomato sandwich. Mm. Yeah. That's and, still like and your favorite. I, right? I, love, yeah. I love tomatoes, yeah. <laughs> just that simplicity, though, yeah. you know, the idea of like, you know, a little salt and pepper and some some uh, some mayo and that soft bread Dukes. and just how, how it changes. Yeah. Duke. I'm a Dukes person, but you know, I didn't grow up on Dukes. I grew I up on Hellman's. Up. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, but you, you won't find that in, in my fridge at this point. We're, we're definitely Duke's people. So. What, what kind of bread? Uh, you know, I think that can go a lot of ways, but I do, I, I do love um, in the summer being at the beach and having just that cheap white bread. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> and one of my Toasted, new favorite. So, well, this is, I, I, I like it untoasted, yeah. but I do have a new technique that uh, I haven't publicly discussed, oh so gosh. that we're breaking heard it out here. You heard it here first. <laughs> Um, I was out at Scribe um, in oh, Dino yeah, Scribe sure, Winery yeah. in uh -huh. Sonoma. They're good friends of mine, and I did a residency there this summer oh, cool. and just had the best time. But we were um, we cooked uh, a dinner for a wine release that they did, and one of the things that we passed were tomato sandwiches, um, just on like good white bread that was locally baked. But we cut the crust off and we toasted just the inside of the bread, and so you get this kind of delicious, you know, toasted, kind of nutty uh, compliment to that, that great tomato that then makes its own vinaigrette next yeah. to the, mixes with the mayo, you know, and so uh, you still get that impression of, you know, your, your fingers on the outside yeah. of the soft bread and then this little bit of crunch in yeah. the middle. So that one's, uh, that, take that into your summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, the details really matter. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank really you. Absolutely. It. Before we get to our listeners' questions, a quick word about OXO, who helped make this episode possible. Why do I have so many OXO tools in my kitchen? Because I trust them. They help make my work as a cookbook author dependable and accurate, and they help make my time as a home cook more relaxed. I appreciate OXO's commitment to make every day better, every day. They approach their tools just like I approach my recipes. They notice things and solve problems and see opportunities to improve the process all of the time. Like their pop containers that are stackable and space efficient. You can see exactly what's inside. You can trust that the seal is airtight and the corners are designed for easy pouring. Their leftovers, best friend. Thanks OXO for supporting Keep Calm and Cook On. Want to check out OXO's products? Just head over to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. And now it's time to answer listeners' questions. If you have a question for me, just send me a DM on Instagram at Tertian or send an email to keepcalmandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. That's one word, no punctuation. And now I'm going to pass the mic to my wife, Grace. Hey, Julia. I'm a little under the weather, so please excuse my slightly scratchy voice. It's kind of sexy. <laughs> it's slightly Lauren Bacall a little bit. Maybe not so much. Okay. Your first question comes from Amy Amulia. I'm sorry, Amy, if I bungled your last name pronunciation. She would like to know if you have any suggestions for make-ahead lunches for kids that can be served at room temperature and that aren't sandwiches. 
So I think a great thing to do, and this is something I pack for you, Grace, when you go out on the road for the day, um, is to make things in muffin tins, like little frittatas, or you can even make little individual meatloaves. Uh, They're sort of perfectly compact, and it's a nice kind of change from the normal sandwich routine. I love making individual frittatas like that, mostly because it lets me clean out the fridge. It's like the best place to put the little tiny bit of cooked vegetable, a little bit of cheese, Anything like that, you put that in the muffin tin, whisk some eggs together, pour them on, bake it for like 20 minutes at 400 degrees. They're perfect. Another idea is to make like a grain salad, and you can turn your favorite sandwich into a grain salad. So something like a BLT salad, chopped cooked bacon, chopped tomatoes, some shredded romaine lettuce. Uh, Mix it together with whatever cooked grain you have, brown rice, quinoa, put a little oil and vinegar. That can sit in a container for a few hours at room temperature. It's delicious, and you get out of that sort of sandwich rut. Your next question is from Sarah Bronner, who emailed to say that she has made your confetti meatloaf multiple times and loves it. However, she is amassing a collection of leftover olive oil from all of the jars of sun-dried tomatoes she's using. Can you think of some ways that she can use that leftover oil? So I love this question, and she's referring to the meatloaf in Now and Again, which is my most uh, recent cookbook, and it features sun-dried tomatoes, an underrated ingredient. The best thing to do with all that oil, bring it to room temperature and whisk it with equal parts either balsamic or sherry vinegar, and you have a perfect salad dressing. Or you can use the sun-dried tomato oil as is, just drizzle it on a fresh piece of mozzarella or burrata or some room temperature goat cheese, super delicious. Or a really fun thing to do with it is to use it to... um, fry some breadcrumbs that you use to top pasta with so they get kind of really crunchy and intense kind of tomato flavor. You can also use the sun-dried tomato olive oil in in place of regular olive oil if you're making something like aioli. It would have an amazing, amazing kind of backbone of, of, you know, deep tomato flavor. Your next question comes from Gina Henriksen, who says... I travel a lot for work, and I always leave meals for my husband and son before I leave. Can you recommend some meals that freeze well so I can get ahead of the game? Well, first of all, they're very lucky. That's very generous of you to do that. Uh, Some of the things that freeze really well that I love are any type of soup or stew, any kind of braised meat. I'm thinking like pulled pork or brisket. Meatballs freeze really well. I get asked all the time if you can freeze meatballs already cooked and do you freeze them in the sauce? Yes, yes, yes. Just cook them, freeze them in the sauce. And then, you know, you have money in the bank. Other things that are great, any type of baked pasta, um, little pot pies or or shepherd's pies work really well. Uh, So all really comfort, kind of cozy food. Okay, for the last question, I'm going to shake things up a little bit because I received a question that I actually think Grace is the perfect person to answer. Um, The question comes from at Mag Will Man, who wrote, I am a type 1 diabetic like Grace. Thinking about food and how it will affect my blood glucose can be exhausting. I would love to hear about some ways that you and Grace plan your meals. Do you have go-to meals that make life a little bit simpler? Well, first, I just want to say a virtual hi and a virtual hug. It is exhausting, and you are very right about that. Um, I would say the first thing is that Julia and I eat pretty close to what I would probably describe as a modified Whole30 diet, uh, which doesn't follow any particular recipes or cookbooks, just a focus on vegetables as much as possible. We eat a lot of whole grains, but I would say at least half of our plate is a vegetable of some sort. And that for me has been easier to manage blood sugar levels, um, although I tend to have a hard time at the end of the day. So dinner is always a challenge. So I try to keep that 
pretty low carb. I would say sticking to whole foods and focusing on vegetables is a really good way to go. I think a lot of the recommendations for people with um, diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, is to stick to packaged pre-made foods because the carb counts are really clear. But I find that those really highly modified foods are the ones that spike my blood sugar the most. So I would say stick to vegetables, stick to fruits, and don't be afraid to test. I used to think a lot of foods were off limits until I realized I just needed to test them and eat them a few times to figure out how they would affect me and my body. And that will be different for you too. So just give it a shot. Try things out. Don't give up on pizza and ice cream. You could still have them. Give it a shot. (laughs) Um, Grace, may I ask a follow-up question? Um, Because something I've noticed lately that I think has been really helpful for both you and me um, for kind of just sort of healthy but easy eating is uh, what have you been kind of keeping in the fridge? What have you been doing to make eating lots of vegetables really easy? Do you mean pre-cutting everything? Yes. I have been taking a, a page from Julia's book, maybe not quite literally, but figuratively, and pre, I guess, cutting and prepping everything ahead of time because I tend to work like hours at a time and then wake like look up and forget that I'm starving. And then the closest thing to me is something packaged that I shouldn't be eating, like potato chips or chocolate or whatever. So I kind of start at the beginning of the week, cut up a ton of like cucumbers, kohlrabi, radishes, carrots, all of these things, and just have them ready to go so that when I'm hungry, I can pull them out with maybe some hummus or some sort of dip and create sort of a breakfast or a snack that doesn't have a ton of carbs and won't require a lot of insulin. I would just add one more thing, if that is okay, which is we almost always have a container of cooked greens, um, like kale or collard greens or something, usually just sautéed with garlic, maybe a splash of water to kind of steam them. And we eat those all the time. And it's so nice to have them prepared in the fridge because it means you can have breakfast in a minute, you just throw an egg on it, you know, for dinner, you know, combine that with like roasted or grilled chicken, something like that. So I think doing that prep work ahead really serves both you and and me. I mean, I really benefit from this, this healthy eating. <laughs> I just want to add one last note, which is I think there are so many recommendations about eating low carb if you have type one, but I would say my recommendation is to eat slow carb and to try to focus on things that may have more carbs than a low carb diet would request, but would still leave you with enough energy to feel like you're full. So that would be, you know, beans, anything from like chickpeas to northern beans. We eat a range of them all the time and they have quite a lot of carbs in them, but they are very slow moving, slow acting carbs. And I find those leave me fuller. So I think there's a lot of hype out there about needing to cut out all carbs if you have type one, but I would just say focus on those slower carb foods and those will have a bigger payoff in the end. Is that name taken? Slow carb? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, Thank you, Grace, for both asking and answering questions. It means a lot to have you here. Anytime. And uh, if you have a question for me, or honestly, a question for Grace, (laughs) you can just DM me on Instagram at Tertian or drop an email to keep calm and cook on podcast at gmail.com. It's really wonderful to get your questions and I appreciate everyone writing in. Thanks for listening to Keep Calm and Cook On. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and rate and review the show. It really makes a difference to help others find it. Also, tell a friend or a family member. Text your mom or your cousin or your old roommate. Let them know. Also, if you have a cooking question that you'd like to hear me answer, just drop an email to keepcalmandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. One word, no punctuation. That's keepcalmandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. For more information about me and the show, head over to juliatertian.com. 
Everything about my work is there, and if you click on Keep Calm and Cook On, you'll find everything about the show. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tertian, which is just my last name. Thanks again to OXO for making this episode possible. OXO makes many of the kitchen tools I trust the most. To find out more about OXO and their products, head over to OXO.com. That's O-X-O dot com. And before I really say goodbye, a quick shout out to the Interfaith Food Shuttle, a Raleigh-based organization that Ashley and her team work closely with and that uses food to move us all forward in a positive direction. The Interfaith Food Shuttle combats hunger through a variety of ways. They have mobile markets, they have grocery bags they give to seniors, they have an incredible backpack program that sends food home from school with kids, and they collaborate with almost 200 partner agencies. They also run a farm and community gardens, they provide community health education, and they even offer a catering apprentice program. Complex issues require really multi-pronged solutions, and the Interfaith Food Shuttle shows us what that could look like. To find out more about them, head over to www.foodshuttle.org. Thanks again for listening to Keep Calm and Cook On. I'll catch you next time.